Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm packing right now my teeny weeny bikini. Uh, I'm not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole. And I <laughs> am. I have a bikini. I am Airbnb dog. That's right. Okay. So this is what it means All to right. be. Be professional friends with Kara, and then we yeah. decide to make the bridge into friendship after knowing each other for uh, 11 years. We're not really friends. Okay, so, okay. so that hurts my feelings. Mm-hmm. So, okay, it first it's to. like, hey, let's, ment- let's meet in Miami yeah. to go check out some venues. And it's like, you know, I'll bring Amanda. She's bored. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, you know, we have a kid. She goes everywhere with us. And then all of a sudden. What do you want to leave it here with like a cracker and the cat? Uh, and then. And then, oh, wait, our 16-year-old son is bored. Uh, mm-hmm. bored. Can he come with us? <laughs> He's coming. It is literally a harem coming over here. I, I'm thinking, do I need a bigger house? No. I, I heard your house is big. What can the Swishers expect, the Clampets, when they oh, get there? I I'm not bringing totally, Louie. Louie wanted to come suddenly, but well, I got to be honest. You what? are my. You are such my liberal progressive cred. I'm inviting all my friends over to meet Kara and Amanda. They're lesbians. <laughs> And then I'm going to turn on Christiana Amanpour and wear my Berkeley sweatshirt, and boom, I'm fucking Alan Alda. What can I expect? Don't question my purple. Is this, house? Is this purple a nice cred. house? Is, do I, get, I need to bring my own sheets? What's nice happening? house? Yeah, I got a I got a beer fridge. Right. Okay. I got I got like a big fat flat screen TV. I Good. got video games. Good. Okay. You have a basketball it's a total, court. I understand. It's a total man cave and a basketball hoop. Alex is going to dunk on you. He's very excited. Well, that's what his mother does every week. <laughs> He's really good at it, actually. He's really, really good at it. So this is going to be really fun. We're going to take pictures. We're Then we're going down to Miami. I'm still trying to Miami. schedule our meeting with the mayor because you keep saying you can't do things. So the mayor of Miami is going to meet us. We're going to visit all Mercedes. kinds of things. What? Mayor Suarez, who is already yes. a vice presidential contender, right? He is. He was meeting with yeah. Nikki Haley. He's he's yeah. a very handsome man. And so we're going to meet with him. And uh, we're going to go see some venues. We're coming to Miami. We're coming we're, to Miami. Miami is coming to us, let's be honest. That is fair. That is fair. Miami's Miami is coming Beach. to us. This is very exciting. Uh, we're going to take pictures everywhere. I'm Our spouses excited. are going to be horrified with us. And we're well, that's make called it a weekday. Yes, what do you mean? We'll make it all gonna about be. us, our whole thing. Okay. Gonna be. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. fun. We're going to have a good time in Miami. Anyway, I'm not bringing a bikini. I don't wear bikinis. That happened. Oh, I got I a never. banana hammock. I got a Speedo. No. And no. yeah. to the O. No. I got a little kilt for Big Ed no. and the Twins called a Speedo. <laughs> no. That's right. I like to scare people off the beach. Oh, my God. I'm going to be wearing sunscreen. That's all I have to say. Anyway, we got to get to what we're doing. This is no, going to be really fun. We're going to do our whole sorry, episode on Monday excited. about our very adventures. Very excited. All right. Me too. I'm kind of excited. Very I'm really excited. excited. It's going to be great. All right. Listen, it's been a year since we've seen each other, really. It has so, been a year. So a couple year. of stories that must we have, have been, to talk about. That must have been rough on you. Rough on you. No, it hasn't been. That's so, rough. So listen, Lena Khan. Lena I'm Khan a hugger. Has, don't hug me. Don't even try. <laughs> I'm Lena a Khan hugger. has been in her confirmation hearings to join the Federal Trade Commission. She was real tough. She still stays tough on the on the tech. She's mm-hmm. been a progressive big tech antitrust hero since her Yale Law School paper, Amazon's Antitrust Paradox. And now she's in line to be the F, one of the FTC commissioners, Democratic commissioners. Pretty cool. I think this is super exciting. I think yeah. her and uh, Professor Wu are just mm-hmm. sort of, you know— Batman and Robin, and um, and you know, it's, uh, I'll say she's Batman, so I don't get hate mail on Twitter. But right, look, I I think they're both incredibly thoughtful, smart, and they're they're reasonable, right? They're mm-hmm. not. I, I think they recognize that good antitrust is about uh, creating stakeholder value. It's not a. It's not yeah. seen through the lens of punishment. I think they're both capitalists, but we are blown by any reasonable, uh, any kind of reasonable standards for antitrust. Agreed. 
And it's happening. I mean, I, I read somewhere that Google has you know some, a couple dozen suits already against them. Yeah. So I'm very excited. And not only that, I've gotten to know uh, uh, Lena and Tim a little bit. And they're both just incredibly impressive people. If you thought, all right, I want... You know, we all we talk a big game here, yeah. And no, I get they, angry they know at these what they're guys. Talking about we don't know what we're talking about compared. But to what them. you want is you elegant antitrust yeah. oxygenates the economy. It's not a punishment. It no. liberates shareholder value. And I well, think both of these. I've folks been having get that. a lot of meetings with lawyers, like on both sides of this thing. There's others that have arguments against what Lena and uh, Tim have been talking yeah. about, and so it's going to be an interesting time. I think they're all excited. I think all the antitrust lawyers seem excited to talk about it and what should happen. And there's others that don't think there needs to be anything done in here in that regard. That 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 market will take care of itself. And um, so it's 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 a really interesting time. And you know, Senator Klobuchar, who may come on the show, which will be really fun, um, is. Uh, it has her book out on it. It's a big topic. It's a big, it's a big topic. I think well, it's for the be- for the first time in history, yeah. um, both epidemiologists and antitrust lawyers think people are actually interested in us. They are. They <laughs> people are. actually want to talk to us. I they, know they, that's true. I you know, know. Our, it's true. Our, for the first time, our mom seems interested in what we actually do. I it's, love a good epidemiologist. Anyway, um, what by else the way, is in the news? applications what? to um, yes. masters and uh, yep. for schools of epidemiology, the Fauci effect, they're up like one hundred and seventy-one percent. I had interviewed the head of the T.H. Chan School of uh, First Way, uh, Michelle Williams, Dr. Michelle, who's really impressive. And she said they were up 177%. You're kidding me. Yeah. Wow. Michelle. Wow. Got it. She's wow, amazing. That's crazy. She's an amazing uh, figure. Anyway. She was uh, married the, to Heath Ledger, right? That Michelle no. Williams? <laughs> no. That one? No. <laughs> I love uh, She's a great actress. I can't name a single no. film she's been in, but no. I'm supposed to think she's a great actress. No. She's got in that sort of like Carrie Mulligan always makes grade. the joke that everybody thinks she's Michelle Williams, uh, they, really? which is really funny. Uh, obviously, the biggest story this week is Derek Chauvin found guilty on all counts uh, for the murder of George Floyd uh, last summer. Uh, uh, good news, I think, for anyone who believes in justice um, and bad news for apparently Tucker Carlson and some others. Um, but it was a, it was it was Tucker a relief. Tucker Carlson I think. didn't think he was guilty. It, it, they just are going off on it. They're they're and t- today Alan Dershowitz was another about how he should stay out of jail while he appeals this and that. And so um, you know they were they they sort of looked at it as a as a negative. I would say so. But you know, yeah. Fuck look, that. I, I, th- there's a lot here, and it's. Um uh, it, it does. It, I mean, I was relieved. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know about you. I was relieved. I thought, Jesus, this is like, if they get this one wrong. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've been thinking a lot about organizations and systems. And a lot of this really reflects, fa- uh, I think a lot of the things that have blown up into scandals reflect a failure of organizations and systems. And that is police receive four hours of what's called, I think, nonviolent or de-escalation training. Mm-hmm. And when you're a police officer, I, I do think we lack an appreciation for your fight or flight or your Amangala response that takes over in, in situations. That is not the case here. I think he had, obviously, a lot of time to think about what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of situations um, uh, uh, require a lot more training. And also, I, I'm a big fan. Everyone talks about strategic hires. I think that uh, government and small businesses, and people don't like to talk about this because it's not aspirational. And the more progressive you are, you tend to think it's the system's fault, not the individual's fault. I'm a big fan of strategic firing. This, uh, 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 Mr. Chauvin had 18 complaints against him, yeah. um, and two involved uh, some sort of 
um, I believe, violence. And the reality is he should have just never been on the police force. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think we keep finding reasons not to fire people and uh, because of legal liability or this notion that they need to be retrained or whatever. I'm a big fan that you're, you're not, I believe you're not doing anyone a favor keeping in a, them in a job they're never going to be successful at. Well, you know, the Biden administration is doing a lot of investigating. Obviously, Merrick Garland announced investigations of the Minneapolis Police Department. I mean, a lot of these, I think I, I've been listening to a lot of uh, uh, police officers, like Val Demings has talked about this, like what what goes into the training. And I think that's, um, it's it's going to be on in the, on the front burner for a long time, and it should be, that these issues. I think one, the thing that was, I think, I saw over Twitter um, was that it's, it's depressing that we were worried if he was going to be found guilty. Isn't after. It? it was really strange to think, oh my gosh, there's a possibility that he yeah, might not. That was, I think, the mo- the takeaway I had from that. And obviously the shooting right afterwards of a young woman uh, after that was looked like another, not this, not in the same situation, but it, nonetheless, it was another, why do people get, why is shooting the place it goes immediately? Um, and you, I think you know, even more than that, I'm sorry to interrupt you. The, the thing that always shocks me is it's never one shot. It's, it's uh, in Michigan, I think it was seven shots. Yeah. And I think it goes to the notion that when that, that, that flight or fight incident kicks in, mm-hmm. it is very hard. It, it's just incredibly hard to make rational decisions. Well, and no excuse. I think, they're, they're here to serve the people. Not, oh, no, not no, I'm not, I'm not defending it. I'm, I'm saying that, that that's my point is when you hear about these things, it's like, okay, if you shoot someone once in the back, you'd, you'd think just rationally that's probably going to disable them or take the threat level down substantially. And what you see a lot of times is they didn't shoot, they didn't shoot them once. They shot them seven times. Mm-hmm. And it's just there really needs to be, a great, I think, a great deal more training about how to, how to modulate and, and counter your, your fight or flight instincts that take over here because – I, I don't believe these are all bad, violent people uh, that have a badge. And when they shoot someone seven times, you think, okay, something uh, – look, I think that the, at a minimum, we need to absolutely revisit – there's some great police forces that do a fantastic job of, of training people that your job is to de-escalate, mm-hmm. full stop. And, yeah. and a lot of police forces get a total of – police officers get a total of four hours of training around something loosely related to de-escalation. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, I, I'm I'm I feel much better. I'm relieved yeah. that this individual is going to uh, be put in prison for the the crime he committed. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, we'll see where it goes and if there's any uh, appeals. But at least for a momentary relief, and there's a lot of investigations going on in these in these various shootings. Which are, um, I'm just reading a clip from uh, the Cle- the Cleveland. Um, paper about the shooting in Columbus. Um, and it was, uh, it just is sort of like from a few few day with people on either side of him, the officer fires four shots and the teen slumps to the ground. A black handle blade similar to a kitchen knife or a steak knife lies in the sidewalk next to her. The man immediately yells at the officer, you didn't have to shoot her. She's just a kid, man. The officer responds, she had a knife. He, she went after her. It just, it, there's got to well, be Okay, better. but to be fair, and, uh, and it sounds like you know more about that situation mm-hmm. than I do. Some of the pictures I've seen of that show uh, 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 someone stabbing another teen. Yes, I get it. I get it. And, it's, talk, it's talking about how to how to yeah, handle these things. It's, yeah, it's, it's, there yeah. was also a picture of a, a white guy hanging off, pulling an officer off a truck. He didn't get shot. Yeah. Like, I'm just yeah, saying. That's, it a, seems that's to, a fair point. They seem to be able to de-escalate when it's white people. So anyway, um, a, I've a, seen lots a, of That's a very good like point. That. Anyway, let's, point. Let's, let's, we're not experts on this area, but I, yeah. but uh, Derek <laughs> Chauvin, I hope you rot in prison. That's how I feel about that. Um, let's talk about Apple's uh, biggest uh, push into the podcast space yet, and most importantly, yeah. what that means for us, of course. Yeah. Um, this is our big story breakdown. Yeah. 
this week, Apple announced a lot of stuff, including a, a purple uh, iPhone, which I'm going to get immediately. Um, but major changes coming up in his podcast app, including more discovery options, better layouts for publishers, space for more content. They'll offer premium subscriptions. Podcast publishers like Pushkin and Radiotopia, they're taking a vig again. Uh, I think it's 30%. Apple first uh, launched Apple Podcasts in 2006. There was big news around Facebook audio earlier this week, um, which we talked about on Monday's episode with his interview with Casey Newton and the announcements they made. Um, so what is happening here? What do you, what do we, what do we imagine is occurring? You have Spotify in this space, you have Facebook saying they're coming into it in a significant way. Um, and, and, and others, the New York Times is doing it. I think Vox is trying to sort of coalesce around certain people with the pre-acquisition. What, yeah. what is happening here from your perspective? And what's the difference between a subscription and sort of these free ad-based ones? Well, uh, we talked about it. I mean, it's it's a collision of a few things. One, if you own the rails, uh, you let kind of everyone have playtime and come up with, with with their own media. And then if you control the rails, you can begin inserting yourself in between folks yeah. and starting the margin. And I think Apple sees, okay, this arbitrage around MPS where people feel more loyal towards the host organization when they consume media as opposed to consuming you know, an iPhone or uh, e-commerce or what have you. And so they they see the same arbitrage and opportunity to go vertical. And they can, I mean, Apple with a mediocre, uh, Apple yeah, can know. do for the morning show. The morning show, had it been on Hulu, would have gone absolutely nowhere. Mm. But because it was on Apple and they could put it in front of everybody, what was it, The Bird Box, that ridiculous film with yeah. uh, with Sandra Bullock? Yeah, You had to watch it because Netflix decided yeah. you were going to watch it because yeah. because they have so much interface. And Apple will probably, my guess is, within two to three years, have three or four of the top 10 podcasts mm -hmm. because they'll be able to take good and make it great in terms of downloads by ensuring that it just pops up everywhere. Right. And so they're moving in and they're going to take control of that. It'll be an interesting exhibit for their uh, antitrust case. Yeah. The app store needs to be regulated. I don't think they should be broken up, but they charge an incredible tax, yeah, it's a tax. Um, to these guys. But the podcasting, it's a really interesting uh, space right now. I think mm -hmm. it's probably, um, I think I think Vox either goes, either SPACs in 12 months or less or gets acquired because to Jim and Marty's credit, they invested early and it hasn't been easy and often mm -hmm. in podcasting. You were sort of early here. You deserve I something was, big. Yes, you, deserve, I was. you deserve the big piece of chicken or something. <laughs> I was here seven years ago. But here's the thing. Podcasts, you know, have mostly been free until now with, with, with us relying on ad revenue that we read. We enjoy doing it and other, you know, like an event that we might do. Um, so this idea of, you know, you think of Substack with the you know, Substack again, the podcast, for example, there are, you know, more opportunities for for creators uh, to make money. And so the, the, this is subscriptions, podcast subscriptions. Why not do that? And obviously Luminary is one of these companies, but um, so they can participate in this Apple podcasting program um, to, to do this. What do you imagine? Because there's also people, there's Patreon for some podcasts, mm -hmm. there's YouTube channel memberships, there's all kinds of things. What do you, how does it shake out? Is it move into sort of that sub-stackian model? Um, that's, now, that's now a word apparently that I just made up. Um, or does it stay, you know, does it stay in this sort of advertising space? Because, you know, Spotify is a subscription, right? You have to have that and then you get to use their exclusive podcast. Well, Apple have to buy content, real content. Well, Apple usually is not acquisitive, uh, yeah. but but look, it, the the most accretive move 
in business history is this move from transactional to subscription. And mm -hmm. consumers, Mark Andreessen had a really thoughtful comment. He said that one of their biggest mistakes with Netscape was they didn't build micropayments into the browser. Mm -hmm. And if you look at how much uh, traditional content that's ad supported is able to monetize your viewership. So if you watch if you watch uh, an hour of Fareed Zakaria, which by the way is like, you know, butter on toast. If butter okay. on toast was More amazing, yeah, he's he's it's just an amazing hour. Mm -hmm. But uh, Fareed is, uh, you know, unfortunately Fareed is surrounded with all this bullshit convincing you of how much it sucks to get old, telling you that yeah. you're of opioid induced constipation. He's working on an Apple show, just so you know. But go ahead. But do you know what they get for that? Mm -hmm. They get a total because for pelting you with. Yeah. Gosh, 19 minutes of ads, they get 49 cents. Mm -hmm. And so if you could easily, it's not the 49 cents that gets in the way, it's the technology and the friction around payments. If mm -hmm. you could just blink your eyes or click a button and uh, you would automatically be charged 49 cents or your browser had super easy ability to create micropayments, um, we would have I agree. The, the move to subscription or just pay, you know, just micro micropayments. Mm-hmm. Would be substantial because here's the here's the dirty secret about the brand industrial complex. It's a shitty trade for you. Yeah, it's a shitty trade if you if you only let your kids watch Netflix and don't let them watch ad supported television. They save between something like nine to thirteen days a year just in commercials, and you think, okay, that's probably worth one hundred and fifty bucks a year. So there is no. Uh, I think the future for ad supported TV is really. It's just the sun has passed midday on that play, and there will be a bifurcation. There will still be a large percentage of the population that watches Fox, that has an Android phone, and uses a Discover card that doesn't want to pay and is willing. You know, their time is less valuable. They have more time than money, and they would rather just see ads and get it for free. And right. there will always be a big audience for that. But the audience is smaller. The revenue stream is a lot smaller than it is right now. We're seeing Agreed. the cable I, bundle I mean, disarticulate. It's happening everywhere. It'll be interesting to see what Apple does because, you know, Spotify owns Anchor FM, which which is an app that lets you cre create and distribute your own podcast. Obviously, Spotify has a bunch of tools for people to do it. You also stay, they've paid certain people to stay within like Joe Rogan um, and others within the system, although he's also outside the system. And But they've had others. They have Gimlet and things like that. So it's it's kind of interesting to see all these various and different sundry um, business models sort of running around to figure out what would be right. But Apple is the biggest player in this space. If you're on the Apple podcast lists, you do really well. If you're yeah. the top. We, that's where we look, right? We don't look at the Android list. We don't look at this and that. And so it, I think advertisers look, look at them. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to see which whether it does become this subscription-based thing where you are part of a team of, you know, whether the New York Times, you're going to buy the New York Times podcast, you're going to buy the the set from Amazon or whatever. Um, but it's certainly, uh, it's certainly still, the, the jury is out. But with Amazon, Apple in here doing this, it's both problematic for Apple and also interesting for creators, for sure. The thing that, the, the mode here is that Spotify has done an amazing job I mean, if you think about it, I just think it's remarkable what Spotify has been able to do. They've been able to distill an entire medium down to one app, one button, and organize it all. Podcasts, yep. songs, Tom Petty, George Michael, you know, it's all in one place. And no other, t you know, what app has brought all television together? Mm -hmm. What app has brought all news and uh, stories together from, you know, respected out? No one has been able to do it with Spotify. So, so Spotify is a pretty... You know they have some pretty powerful moats, but I would, this is I tough would bet, 
You know who Apple's, you know who Apple, I think Apple's first big move and the most underpenetrated or the biggest opportunity mm. is in news and business news. I think somebody is going to come up with competitors to one, the daily. I think mm-hmm. Apple's going to come up with something that looks like the daily. Yeah. And two, um, CNBC is the ripest kind of old white guy, head up their ass, Joe Kiernan media company. <laughs> Um, in the world. Uh, hey, everybody, don't take the pandemic seriously. You're overreacting. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, at some point, Andrew Ross Sorkin is going to say, okay, I'm sick of the dumb fucking senior home here. I'm, 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 I'm leaving the village of stupid and letting the old angry white guys from New Jersey spread misinformation disguised as market information. And he's going he's gonna to be the anchor of a of a new uh, business network that is actually you know. Uh, anyways, I, I think CNBC. I think there are a few media mm-hmm. companies more ripe for disruption that that have kind of sort of early stage prostate cancer mentality right. than than <laughs> CNBC. Your message. Um, it's it is interesting. You're right. Like, interesting. There's an interesting story here from Android Central. I don't read it often, but it said Spotify owns Anchor FM. Anchor FM launched a phone-based app that lets anyone easily create and distribute their own podcast, but also includes analytics, performance tools, monetization options, like uh, ability to earn ad revenue with no minimal listenership, the ability to do your own ad reads, even ability to raise funds directly from listeners. In addition to Patreon, these tools and services are what Apple's podcast subscriptions are in direct competition with. So once again, Spotify finds itself in the crosshairs and in competition with Apple, which is, I think, uh, interesting. Yeah, Apple's got to be really careful, though. Uh, These guys all have to, it's interesting, and this is why, you know, the innovator's dilemma, almost everything Apple, Google uh, do right now is they say, okay, what are the what is Lena Khan and Tim Whale going to do with this move? Yeah, <laughs> are they going to use this as as Exhibit yeah. H? Whereas Facebook clearly, I think Mark Zuckerberg has told his team, "Don't worry about anything." Someone says, someone says as a joke, "Hey, why no? Let's release Instagram for kids," and everyone laughs because that's <laughs> such an outrageously <laughs> stupid thing. He's like, "Good idea, uh, let's go for it." And I yeah. say, "You realize that." That every parent in America is going to freak out and call their their representative. He's like, I don't care. Is there an extra dime for daddy in it? Yeah. Yep. Uh, whereas I think Google and Face, uh, Google Apple. and Apple and Amazon are like, okay, uh, do we really want to poke the bear with a spear here? Here's the irony: Apple is was first out of the gate popularizing podcasts. They were. They were. They were the first people, but it yeah. it hasn't moved in to be sort of the the monetization engine. Well, you 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 this. know. You know more about this space than I think almost mm-hmm. um, almost anyone on this podcast. Yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. What, what do you see? Part. Who do you think are the players here? I'm always fascinated on? with Apple because they were the first to do this, right? They're the first to popularize it, and they're the first to really make podcasts the thing. I mean, that's where, where it happened, really. And so uh, who gets to monetize it and how it gets to monetize? I don't know. Like, we think about this. Should we be a subscription or should it be free or should it be a, a, a hybrid model? Um, I don't think I have an answer yet because once you get into a gated community where only the people that subscribe get it, um, what do you what do you offer them? Like, interestingly, Casey, I was talking to Casey Newton, who does the platformers on Substack, which he's getting pretty big. Um, they they a bunch of them got together, a bunch not just Substack people, people on Medium, uh, in the sort of in the same generalized tech area, and they created something on Discord called Side Channel, which is in order to keep subscriptions going, they have to offer them something else. So when you're in a subscription model, you have to keep upping the game, just like uh, it's like. Uh, 
Amazon did with Amazon Prime. And so they have this side channel thing, and their first guest was Mark Zuckerberg, so that was great for subscriptions. And they've seen subscriptions go up, each of these various members of this collective, um, on Discord. That's where they located, because they didn't mm-hmm. want to, because it was free. They didn't they didn't do it anywhere else, which was interesting. They could have done it on Facebook. They could have done it all kinds of places. And so, uh, or Clubhouse, there's all kinds of ways they could do it. But it's an interesting time. It's a very creative and interesting time, and I have to sit and think about it. In fact, perhaps we'll do that by the ocean together. We'll sit and contemplate business models. Holding hands. Holding, holding hands. hands. All right. As you okay. spread La Roche-Posay on the small of my back. <laughs> I shall on not my tramp that. stamp. That shall not be. Do you have a tramp stamp? I'll find out. All there right, Scott, quick time there for a quick wouldn't break. Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> no, I wouldn't, You actually. and the 45 other swishers bringing, uh, you're bringing with you. I mean, literally, there are nine swishers showing up. Where's Dr. Swisher? Why isn't oh, he rolling? you know what? He should. Why isn't he rolling? I'd love to yeah, meet Jeffrey. Yeah, he's a good doctor. He's a good. Oh, wait, I have met Doctor Swisher. Yes, you have met him, but you, he'll yeah. he'll roll in. Don't worry, roll they're in. all coming. They're all show up. We're we're a gang, is what. God we knows are. he rolls into our Twitter feed. A I lot. know he I does. think he is so. He is clearly. <laughs> he got out to an early start. Mom, I'm going to be a doctor, and then you have jumped out ahead of him, and he's like, "Hey, love me, mom, love me." That guy I, totally hijacks I, our Twitter feed. I need like, your reaction to my mother when you see her. Anyway, I Scott, love Lucky. It's time I love her for fashion. a quick break. We'll be back. We'll talk about Netflix. Netflix earnings report, not good, and a listener mail question. Okay, Scott, we're back. Netflix released its quarterly earnings report, and it was not pretty. The company saw a huge slowdown in their subscriber numbers. Probably not a surprise since they had a huge upsurge. They added about $3 million versus $6 million they had expected. Shares for the company fell 11% following the news. In a shareholder letter, the company said, we uh, believe paid membership growth slowed due to the big COVID-19 pull forward in 2020 and a light content slate in the first half of this year due to the COVID-19 production delays. Well, they, even though they pumped out more content than any one else, really. Flashback to this time last year when Netflix was having its biggest quarter ever. Here's what we said back then. I got to say, Reed Hastings is flawless as far as I can oh, tell incredible. in everything. Incredible. So including his weird little bedroom. So tell me, tell me what you think of this and what do you think is going to happen? Well, it's not, it's not surprising, right? And, but it's okay. So uh, Netflix, I believe, is up 28% year to date. So they're mm-hmm. obviously accelerating through the crisis. It's what what do they do? Um, this is a company now worth more than Disney. What they do is they they either buy Spotify or they start making these massive, super interesting investments, as they did in Madrid, where they have hired ten thousand creatives and they're creating content that can be morphed into German and Norwegian mm-hmm. and Ukrainian content really easily. They just slip in into the same sets with the same scripts, different. You know the the hot the hot star from from Kiev, and they make a yeah. Ukrainian version. They're the only company other than Amazon. Yeah, they're the Amazon of entertainment. That's what I was just thinking. 100%. Because by virtue of the fact that they're, as long as they manage that incredible story they have in concert with this, that's the peanut butter, the chocolate is access to the cheapest capital in the history of entertainment. And they can keep making these forward-leaning investments. And then the wind of, look, the wind of Corona will eventually subside and people will hopefully be spending less time in their homes, but they're still going to spend more time in their homes than they did pre-Corona. And you have one company that is just going out and absolutely making such incredible investments. And they're making, if you're if you're making triple the capex of anybody else, and you're just as good or better, which Netflix is, you, you kind of can't compete. So yeah, I they're thought, really good. 
All right. So they are very good. Mm. I still think they're very good. But, you know, people think this is uh, some analysts thought the future growth prospects were problematic. Uh, once COVID ended, when people were not inside, they got an enormous boost from COVID. Um, and and they, of course, have spent a lot of money. They're ahead of people. They also got an enormous amount of competition from uh, HBO, from uh, from Disney, from all over the place. Uh, BritBox. I was just watching BritBox the other night because I wanted mm-hmm. to see something. So, um, so what happens here? They sort of have been lapping all the other competition and now the other competition has met them and they benefited from COVID, which is people are now going out and they're not watching as much and they didn't have enough content. That was like, did you see the movie Defending Your Life? I feel like we're yeah. in heaven I love that looking movie. at ourselves. Um, uh, I'm Albert Brooks, you're Glenn Close. And <laughs> no, we're, like Meryl Streep. Uh, I'm sorry, Meryl Streep. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. Same, same. Tomato, tomato. All right. Um, both both amazing actresses. True. Uh, um, look, uh, the 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 thing that's catching up, I think, to Netflix is that the novel coronavirus has slowed production, and the reason why I think the most interesting thing here is Disney's progress against um, Netflix. I think Netflix has almost a quarter of a billion subscribers, but mm-hmm. Disney has breached a hundred million. Yeah. And what Disney has that plays to their advantage in a novel, in, a, in an era, a crisis where production is slowed, if not halted, is they just have the biggest bank mm-hmm. of content. So Peacock. Let's not leave out Peacock. It's not doing badly. Well, all Friends all and Star Trek. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, they do have a lot. I just. Yeah. Uh, just nothing. Nothing matches the franchise value of Star Wars or of Marvel or of the animation or the kids. So it strikes me that that um, more than so the novel coronavirus has been a fantastic wind in the sails of all streaming, mm-hmm. but it's been especially. But the catamaran here, if you will, or the one that's just able to leap out ahead relative to to, to the rest. A little bit of a sailing metaphor from the dog. <laughs> little nautical that. dog. <laughs> We're not going sailing. Um, Go ahead. Uh, is is Disney because they they um, if it's about capital and new production, Netflix wins because yeah. they have access to the cheaper capital. But if it's about if it's about a base of content that you have to draw on because production has been has been slowed, then it's then Disney makes more progress against any of them. And if you look at what's happened over the last twelve months, I mean Disney has basically gone from zero to sixty in like two seconds. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and they have they had a lot to. But you but, you said this before. You don't want to bet against Reed Hastings and Netflix. I never do. Here's I mean, an interesting quote from this guy Nat Chandler from Bank of America. He said, "People aren't talking about the fact that they beat revenue. People aren't talking about the fact that they crushed EPS estimates. People are talking about the fact they missed net subscriber additions in the quarter over last quarter. Not year over year growth. Not even total subscribers, which is off by less than one percent. So this is really a tertiary metric. It's extremely volatile. It's extremely difficult to predict what's going to be in the given quarter." Uh, I look at this as a buying opportunity because if you look at what happened in the past and the times Netflix has missed in the past that on this really hard to predict number, the stock has rebounded immensely. Um, that's a fair point. Like they really have, I, I would say against those previous times, they didn't have competitors. And so when you have a thing, COVID ending, summer happening, you know, they don't have quite enough content and everyone else has some really good content. I mean, I've noticed what I've been watching and it's not only on Netflix and it used to be only on Netflix. And I love Netflix. Let me just underscore. I think they've, they've ran circles around all these other, these, these companies, but they've gotten their tricks. They've got, they've, they've figured out their tricks, I think. And that's really going to be hard, Uh, Mm -hmm. especially as it's, as streaming wars heat up overseas. Um, and, and, and that they can't, that, that they are competing for talent in a way they weren't, uh, before. 
Um, so that's, those are all, it needs, it needs, uh, you know, they had uh, Bridgerton. Um, and so now it needs what else, you know, it's, they, they, they need to keep feeding the beast of consumers expectations, I think. There was, uh, I mean, Netflix really um, benefited from the fact that they effectively had no competition. Yeah. I mean, Amazon Prime came in, but I think relative to the amount of capital they spent, I would argue that Amazon, Amazon was spending $350 million for every, for every Emmy to like HBO 60. I mean, mm-hmm. they just didn't have the culture punching out creativity at the same efficiency as everybody yeah. else. HBO kind of uh, was caught a little bit flat-footed. Yeah. And Netflix came in and, uh, you know, ar- arguably, given how much they grew the space, didn't have a lot of competition. And then competition exploded three years ago with all these people trying to, coming in with kind of half-baked efforts to protect their legacy assets so that didn't threaten their legacy assets. And then all of a sudden, AT&T got very serious when they took uh, their their franchises direct to HBO Max and Disney Disney has absolutely mm-hmm. come in come in like a house on fire. Yeah, I think it's great move uh, by Bill, Bob Iger. But the the thing I think the thing you take away and when I and when I talk to companies from subscription is everyone says okay it's a better economic model. But that's it's more than that. And that is when you go to subscription when you're in a transactional model, all you're focused on is how do I get the next consumer in the door tomorrow? And your best and brightest are focused on um, creating more traffic. Whereas when you enter into this, what I call long-term monogamous relationship, you're really focused on the relationship and pulsing value to the end consumer. Mm-hmm. And you just end up with a more product consumer-focused organization. And you end up, I mean, when you think about it, Netflix and HBO, they just have better content. And there's no logical reason why they should have better content. There isn't. Then ad-supported media, except ad-supported media takes its best and brightest and sends them to Procter & Gamble to talk about new ad packages and doing whatever they can in the short term to juice viewership the next yep. week. Yep. They're just and, not as creative. They're not as creative. And you they can can't invest it. for the long term. They can't say, okay, this show needs time to marinate or this show is about not a huge audience. It's about extreme quality and because yep. that pulses value to a smaller segment. Well, Harry and Meghan to the rescue. They have their first series on Netflix, just so you know. I think one of the things that there was a really interesting article in uh, CNN. Harry actually, and Megan? Oh, that's right. They did a deal right. with Netflix. Yeah, they did a deal right? with Netflix. They did a lot you know of- what her greatest accomplishment to date is? What? She has accomplished what every spouse wants to accomplish, and that okay. is she has convinced her spouse that their family are total assholes. I think that's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> that's what we all try to do. We all try to convince our spouse. Hey, your family, let's be honest, they're total assholes. Yeah. And she's done that. She's yeah. convinced Well, him. we'll see how long that lasts. She's let's convinced see. them. That's, that's, we'll see. We'll see. And it, what's in, one of the things that the CNN story is funny <laughs> is like, Disney, I don't want to go into Megan territory. Um, uh, Disney oh has- Oh my God, has, this, this these 98-year-old <laughs> white people are racist. That's a shocker. <laughs> That's a shocker. The queen looks so sad at the funeral. That's a though. shocker. I like that queen. I don't know why. Anyway, mm, we've um, matched on Tinder. You the, heard. <laughs> you heard. I know. That's right. That's right. The dog's taking you, her red onion. Two for one Long Island. I, two for one Long <laughs> Island be, iced teas will she on be Fridays. In Florida with us? Exciting. That'll be great. I wouldn't be surprised. She could play. I basketball wouldn't be with surprised. Alex. That would be great. Listen. 
Disney has other businesses. This is a point that was made in the CNN story. Theme parks, Baby Yoda dolls, uh, et cetera, et cetera, ESPN. Comcast has obviously, Amazon obviously has all the toilet paper it sells. Uh, Warner has its other businesses. Netflix only has its Netflix. And so that's one of the problems is can it get into other businesses? Like they were suggesting ad-supported Netflix possibly um, or other things they could buy. Uh, You had talked again in that, quote about buying Spotify and whatever. And so you wonder what other businesses is going to get into, what other to support itself. Um, they need a dumb so, hardware device. They, they've got to go vertical. Know. Netflix, it's very hard, and this is Disney's Achilles heel, it's very hard to get past a quarter of a trillion dollars without investing in and owning the rails. Because mm-hmm. at some point, Apple can come in and start... I mean, it's just amazing. If you look at Apple across... Do you realize Apple gets somewhere between 3 and 12% of uh-huh. the top line revenue of every streaming service, yep. they really are the toll keeper. They are the toll Because if you want access to their app store, which you have to have, this is true. you got to pay the tax. That's and right. so Netflix at the end of the day, and Disney to a lesser extent, because I guess they have some vertical with ABC, yeah. but they, I got to think these guys are going to get into some sort of dumb device. Um, and that's why Roku is so powerful. And this goes- pushing the Roku thing. You're right. I think you're right. I Roku think you're is right. the most innovative company that gets the least amount Although, of press. Although, here's a quote from Reed Hastings. Uh, they were talking about, uh, asked about Netflix's second act during the company's post-earnings call on Tuesday. Hastings again placed the company's focus on pleasing subscribers. We do want to expand. We used to do that uh, shipping DVDs. And luckily, we didn't get stuck with that. We didn't define that as the main thing. We define entertainment as the main thing. So he's sticking with his uh, his plan. I, I think I would never count out Reed Hastings ever, not once. I think he's oh, brilliant. Oh, that guy's a genius. Brilliant. That guy's a genius. Anyway, let's listen. We'll, we'll see what happens, but definitely this has happened before to them and we'll see how they cope, but it's a harder time. I feel time. bad that I was so mean to see. I love Car- Carl Quintanilla. I think he's Quintanilla. wonderful. Quintanilla? Quintanilla, yeah. I think he's wonderful. He, he seems like lovely. a real gentleman. He's a sweetheart. He's a sweetheart. Yeah. All right. So I feel you, bad you like, that I was so hard. You like nobody there, but I Carl. had Jacqueline Novogratz on yeah. my other podcast, Prof G. And after the podcast, she literally said to me in a very sincere way, she goes, are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized like, uh, and she's like, do you need, and she asked me this sincerely. What? She asked me this sincerely. Jacqueline's she's like, an interesting she person. said to me, she said, do you need a hug? And I thought no. that was so nice and yeah. so like, and she said it in such a thoughtful, earnest way. Oh no! And anyways, I, I'm now I'm all of a sudden looking back on my life that was the first half of this podcast. It was too harsh. <laughs> I was too mean. I was too mean. <laughs> You're I, not I, getting a hug from me, just so you know. Okay, Scott, let's move on to listener mail. Yeah. Roll the tape. You've got, you've got. I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You, you, you've got mail. Hey, Scott and Kara, Bridget McGraw here from Oakland, California. Love you both. I'd like to marry you both, but I don't think my wife would appreciate that. Her work husband wouldn't either. Anyway, my question is, why on earth nobody is talking about the environmental impact of cryptocurrencies? They are created by computers crunching numbers. I'd love to know what you guys think. Thanks. They'd like to marry us. She'd like to marry us? There you go. Yeah. I say we date first. I know. By the way, if you show up with her, I wouldn't even notice. (laughs) You could literally show up with (laughs) Prince Andrew and and say, oh, it's my older son, and I wouldn't know. There are so many strangers showing up in my house this afternoon. All right, listen to me. I know you're getting triggered here. but uh, we did. I have talked to uh, Thank you for your great uh, question. Um, 
Bridget. Uh, I do talk about the environmental impact of cri- cryptocurrencies. Actually, when I interviewed people, we talked about it at length. And a lot of these kind, I think I've written about it, and I think we've talked about it here, is that there's an enormous environmental impact. There's all kinds of movements to change the way Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are mined in order to uh, be less uh, less problematic on the energy grid. Um, a lot of the, the mining is done in China, which is not under everybody's control, but there are all kinds of movements of creators and those involved in it to want to make it more environmentally um, better, I guess. Um, and so they're changing it. There's a thing called point of work and point of whatever. There's all kinds of ways they're thinking about doing it to make it more efficient from an energy point of view. But right now, yes, it's a real, it's a real drag on, on energy grids. Scott? Yeah, this is like everything involving crypto. It's a religious war. And on one side of the war, you have, okay, so crypto is now uh, consuming more electricity than Argentina. And um, it, it really is an issue. The power consumption here is, is and then the and then subsequent carbon footprint is a real issue. Now, on the other side of the, of the, of the argument is 75% of mining takes place or is geographically located close to alternative energy sources. And that a lot of people feel that crypto, in fact, might subsidize the development of alternative energy sources because a lot of crypto mining is um, locating near hydro facilities and thereby creating more revenue streams for alternative energy, thereby, if you will, subsidizing it or creating more demand for alternative energy. So there's two two different ways to look at this. You could argue that crypto is only expediting what is, you know, perhaps the crisis of our lifetime, which is climate. And then other people say, no, crypto is actually... Uh, expediting, expediting the move towards alternatives. It's just, it's what side of the argument on. I don't have a viewpoint. I, I don't, I don't have enough domain expertise to take uh, one side or the other. But like everything crypto, it's very. I find it's, um, it's hard to get your arms around it, to say, okay. Uh, anyways, I, I, I find this stuff, it's fascinating. But the amount of energy, and all that, the amount of energy consumption is only going to go up. Uh, so it'll be it'll be uh, it'll be uh, fascinating to see, but the primary input or cost for miners is is energy. Yeah. So there, there, but there are there are efforts to do cryptocurrency more sustainably, and they're addressing it immediately. Actually, compared, mm-hmm. look, it takes a lot of energy to make a dollar. It takes a lot of energy to make is that coins. right? That's yeah. a fascinating stat. Yeah, what? What? That it takes a lot of energy to make it a dollar. It does. All, anything. That. Anything you're going to use for anything is, creates energy. But it always causes energy to, to, you know, to make dollars, to make coins, to make all kinds of things has has an impact on the, on the, on the world. We just mm-hmm. don't talk about it. But I think people are talking about this quite a bit in the cryptocurrency space. I don't have a conversation with cryptocurrency people of any repute that don't care about this issue. And, and, and especially creators and others are worried about this and buying carbon footprints, buying carbon... Whatever offsets and this and that um, they're doing, and so I think it's good. It's I think Scott is right here. It's going to be a, a, a possibly a, a, a change agent in a good way, um, rather than let's just make a big old uh, carbon mess here. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, look, is it? There's a question. Is it a reason not to invest in crypto? You shouldn't invest in anything. Like Disney parks use a lot of energy. So does like if you start to really think about the carbon footprint, we all have. Like, breathing is a carbon problem, um, and so uh, so it's an interesting thing. But I do think the the industry, as it becomes more in the mainstream, is going to deal with it in a way that's. And they're already doing all kinds of stuff around how they um, all the proofs happen. Um, again, I'm not an expert, but I certainly have heard about it 
extensively. I've been thinking a lot about crypto, and uh, I think the discussion around the environment, and it's a worthwhile discussion, but I think it actually benefits crypto because I think there's a much bigger concern around crypto that doesn't get nearly the attention it should, and that is its threat to the USD as the default currency. And the pe people just don't recognize our greatest asset to um, our, our greatest I don't know, our biggest arrow, our biggest bazooka uh, for, for U.S. is that our values, I would argue, wrapped in the steel hand of uh, incredible ability to deploy force and violence across the world, 138 bases overseas, uh, aircraft carrier squadrons that can deliver, you know, could uh, deliver unbelievable force. A close number two is the U.S. dollar as the default currency. 60% yeah. of foreign exchanges held overseas are held in dollars. And that usually means it runs through a U.S. bank, which means we have transparency and influence over almost every organization in the world that wants to participate in the global economy. And the reason that China is all of a sudden jonesing to create their own crypto, the reason India is playing the reluctant bride and might step in and support one crypto over another, if the USD goes from 60% to 40% to 30%, that's almost the equivalent of taking out several aircraft carrier squadron in terms of our foreign influence. And mm -hmm. no one's no one's really talking about that. And, right. uh, and my fear, my real fear here is that if you think about our lawmakers and our regulators, they used to be kind of citizens that came from industry. So they came from the oil industry because there were a lot of people in energy. They came from consumer products, and they sort of understood the externalities of oil or aluminum or of financial services. They sort of understood it because a lot of people came from that. The tech industry, the domain expertise, the gap between the actual what's happening in these industries and and trying to understand them or domain expertise that leaks into our elected representatives, the Delta is so huge that it creates an extraordinary opportunity for delay and obfuscation. And what you end up with is because 8% mm -hmm. of our elected officials don't understand technology, technology continues to wreak tremendous damage and we don't know how to regulate it because all the regulators and elected officials are catching up. That gulf is even wider between cryptocurrency and elected representatives' understanding of crypto. And I worry that similar to just as big tech has run unfettered for way too long, right. I think it's going to take us, uh, our elected officials, a long time to catch up to the externalities of crypto. I think it's a huge threat. Yeah. Yep. And they don't love to talk about it. I can tell you that. I've been trying to get a lot of the more official people to talk about it. And they certainly are going to have to um, on some level. Um, well, it it's really... because we're all scared to look like idiots. Yeah. Uh, people ask that. me every day about crypto. What, I don't think They're, they get it. I think they don't understand it. Do you all. get it? I don't feel as no, if I get I, I it. No, I do on a big level, not on a not on a specific and what and the impact. I don't, you know, you have Peter Thiel on one side talking about the impact, and you sort of are like it makes sense, and then and, and then there's others who say this and that. Anyway, it's 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 a it's an important time for currency. Let's just say. All right, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for predictions. Okay, Scott, you already gave us some predictions earlier this week, but it's Friday and we want more. More. We want more. Um, I think Val Demings, Rep uh, Representative Demings, oh, kind of yesterday. had her moment. I think she'll be the Democratic nominee for governor of Florida, which makes her a vice presidential oh. candidate for the Democratic Party. Um, Explain what she did for the people who didn't. Well, she just, uh, there's watching these kind of moments of what I'll call righteous indignation when Representative Jordan, who I think is one of the kind of... He's kind of a representative gaslight. I mean, he takes pride in – look, the, the the defense all of a sudden, Republicans finding 
finding an incredible defense and affinity for the good work police do when they commit these sorts of atrocities, and yet they they don't seem to empathize with police when they're bludgeoned with uh, fire extinguishers at the behest of a mob encouraged by uh, some representatives in Congress and our president. It's just she pointed out that 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 uh, protecting or endorsing or supporting um, officers in uniform, which mm-hmm. she was for I think twenty four years, indeed rings hollow when you. It's just purely you know, when it's convenient. And yeah, I thought he's politicizing uh, the police for his own gain. And I think everyone, I, I think at least here in Florida, a lot of people are seeing that clip. And I think she comes across as very strong. Uh, and I thought, you know, that's 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 the person that should you represent. You know what's great about her? I think state. she's, these issues are really complex. You can have, you know, look, she was a longtime police officer. There's, really she, she recognizes the complexity of the job and the, and the, and the, and the abuses. And wants to have a real discussion about it versus him who just wants to, you know, uh, he, they just want to d- reduce everything to a ridiculous cartoon characters of each other. And she's not having it. You know what I mean? And also, by the way, she has more respect for the people that uh, police serve or supposed to serve than he ever would. And does. And he also doesn't, it's like those people that sort of are like, I'm for the military, never been in the military. And lecture people who've been in the military and also people who have problems with the military. You know, he doesn't want to complex society because then it, it's hard. Then it gives a, a hard situation. And so he's just a, more, worse than a gaslighter. He's a reductive nincompoop, really. That's what I would say. Uh, and I have a couple more. Um, okay. I think that just as we were rose from the ashes, you're going to see another brand rise from the ashes, and Who? that is Quibi. Quibi? And it'll, yeah. What? Yeah, Quibi, or what? at least the content from Quibi. Uh, I Roku, heard it's for sale at various places, right? Roku was looking at it. And Roku else? bought it, I think. Bought it, right. Uh, and I think they're going to bring a lot of that content in short form, quick bites, mm. uh, back to life. And I think all of a sudden Roku and its vertical content. This is a gangster movie no one's talking about. Roku has the hardware. They have the rails. Own Roku? You love talking about Roku. No, I've no I don't own Roku. I wish I did. It's been one of the best performing stocks of the last decade. You love that um, Roku. Of incredibly bright CEO, mm-hmm. um, he's he's probably. I mean, he he again is kind of what I would call the kind of the mini Reed Hastings or the Let's heir to that kind of strategic show. blue flame thinking. Can we get him on our show, please? Yeah, and also, they're uh, one of the early product guys. Steve Shannon is one of the brightest brightest guys I've ever met. Um, uh, anyway, so, so bought Quibi is going to so make. Quibi, I think Roku going vertical, um, and I don't know if it's branded Quibi, but I think it's Quick Bites in that format and that jumpstart that it will give Roku around vertical content is really interesting. And I think huh. we're going to hear more about that. Yeah. And the other thing we're going to hear more about By the way, is, can I just interject? I'm sorry, Every idea around Quibi wasn't bad. It's easy to make fun of uh, Katzenberg, but he is still a great programmer. And, yeah, great content. Uh, and there, there's a lot of good stuff on there. It's just something was wrong about it, but it wasn't some of the content for sure. Content wasn't really the biggest problem there. Yeah, it's just that the, they, they were trying to charge. You you get a dollar for every billion dollars in content from the most right. of the streaming services, and they were trying to charge eight bucks. And yep. shocker, people didn't want to sign up uh, for every billion dollars in content. Anyways, um, uh, also, I think we're going to have a much broader conversation around the role, whether or not... Um, Elite universities should, in fact, be nonprofits, and that is if Harvard is accepting 3.4%, if 54,000 people are applying and they're accepting 1,700 to fill a class of 1,400, so 1,400 people, a Starbucks will serve more people than that in a day, and yet they sit on the GDP of El Salvador. It's like, well, okay, is Harvard really a nonprofit? Is their mission really 
to do to make society better? You know, <laughs> what is exactly the mission of these elite universities other other than to make the faculty, the alumni that already have a degree, and the leadership there feel like some douchebag who shows up in a Lamborghini with a diamond-encrusted Rolex and says, look at how blingy and look at how rich and prestigious I am. I think that is really where these universities have gone. They have decided that they're luxury brands, not public servants. Yeah. And I think people are sick of it and say, should they be able to buy real estate and then not pay taxes on that real estate when they scrub it? Yeah. Or they make it. And what is the point if a nonprofit is supposed to, at its core, be adding social good? And that clearly isn't at the at the forefront here. You know that, you know how, and my, the thing I hate the most, I got it, I just What's hate it. What's the most? It. There's so many things. You know, when someone, when someone says, oh, I went to school in Boston, it's like, okay, and what they're really saying is, I want you to know I went to Harvard without actually telling you I went to Harvard. It's like that whole thing. Tell me you're a total douchebag without telling me you're a douchebag. Then just, mm -hmm. just say you went to college in Boston. Mm -hmm. I find that this, this elite luxury, um, uh, uh, their and I and my university is guilty of it too. Where we have decided that prestige and exclusivity is the is the benefit we provide ourselves and other people. Mm -hmm. You're not a nonprofit. You're Chanel. Okay, fine. There's a market for it, but you got to pay taxes. Mm -hmm. So I think there's going to be a bigger conversation around elite universities where you're 77 times more likely to get in if you're in the top 1% of income earning households. There's more people from the top 1% at a third of the top 100 and five of the Ivy Leagues in the bottom 60%. And we're going to have a more thoughtful conversation around all right, are they really nonprofits? Are they really, what is the social good here? Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that's a conversation that's going to go front and center uh, and it's overdue. All right. I like all those. That's a lot of predictions. A lot. Those are many predictions, Scott Galloway. Here's what I predict. Yes. We are going to have a great time. We are going to have a great time. I'm Favorite making plans Scott, for us. DeSantis, I'm headed down. Get ready for Kara Swisher. That's Seriously, all I got to say. Prince Andrew and your, your carry-on <laughs> luggage. Who else is coming down? <laughs> Lucky's coming down. Your aunt. She's I there. Mean, my mom lives there for this winter, and then my aunt does too. God, That's why like I got to see them. People. They're not. They're just. That's they crazy. might just show up at your house. They might look Seriously. through your things, it's rifle like through your people. expensive items, and then leave. That's what we're like. That's the Swisher family. That's how we roll. And I'm coming down, people of Florida. So put your mask. So mask up is what I got to say to you. I yeah, got a little that'll baby. happen. That'll yeah. happen. You know what? I'm gonna make some noise around that issue. I'm just like so excited to Floridaize it. And Matt Gates, can't wait to see you. Rep Gates. So, yeah. He doesn't live in Florida. He lives in the Panhandle. That's in Florida. <laughs> I don't know what that is. You know he's going to be in Miami in some club. He's going to like, we're going to sidle up to him. You think? Yeah. I'm going to give him a big old bear hug when I see him, you pig. Anyway, all right. Don't You're forget. Salty you have, today. We're have both a, salty. I'm going to have so much good Florida fun. Anyway, don't forget if you have a story in the news and want to hear our opinion on submit your questions to nymag.com slash pivot. Uh, Scott, read us out. Today's show is produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Ernie Andretot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Hannah Rosen and Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. The Swisher Posse, the Swisher Posse, all 73 of them are coming, are coming to hang out with the dog in his pack. Oh my God, what a thrill. Yeah, there can be only one. Let's see who survives this particular uh, show. Bye.